What's up everyone? We're gonna be chatting about parenting today. And in particular, using money as a tool to balance parenting, being a physician and all the other things in life. I brought on two fantastic guests today to help us cover it with me today. Our first guest is a parenting and child development expert. He literally has a doctorate in family sciences and is currently teaching, researching, and doing outreach work as a parenting expert at the University of Kentucky. Before getting his PhD, he earned his master's in clinical mental health counseling and worked extensively counseling families doing, dealing with some of the most challenging circumstances that really you could imagine. He also spent quite a bit of time in the military. Appreciate your service, David. And was actually near the Pentagon during September 11th and seconds after the crash, when people were running away from the chaos, David ran right at it and was one of the first on the scene to help, which tells you a lot about his character. He's also a great friend of mine, and I, we've got, gotten to have tons of great conversations about parenting and life in general. But I think what's really especially important to point out is I've been able to see some of the fruits of his parenting efforts firsthand. He's a great father to two amazing kids. Both are really just thriving academically, socially, and in sports. And they're, I think, most importantly, very respectful, hardworking, honest, and loving kids. On top of all this, he's become very involved in a great organization called Four Kids, which we might talk a little bit more about in this episode. But they work with children in our schools and help them to find purpose and meaning and direction in life by connecting them with mentors that really help show them what true love is all about. Our first guest is Dr. David Weisenhorn. Welcome, David. Yeah. David's also been on the show. We talked about, it was teaching your children about money. So if you hadn't heard that episode, definitely go and check it out. But I appreciate you coming on again. Yeah. Our second guest is joining us from down in New Orleans or New Orleans. How do you pronounce it? Okay. <laughs> and is a practicing pediatric anesthesiologist, husband, and father. He's also a certified life coach and the creator of Dads Before Doctors Mastermind Group and Podcast for Physician Fathers. It's very obvious to me that he's a lifelong learner that's really serious about continuing to improve and invest in self-development. He's also a go-getter and willing to do hard work to find resources and learn new things to solve problems in life. And I think what's especially impressive to me is that he's living out his values and really allowing them to drive the ship. And he's really leaning into this desire to become a better husband and father himself and even working to help others to do the same. For example, one of the things he shared with me is he was investing in his own self-development and realized how impactful a mastermind group can be and looked to find a physician-specific group for that and realized it didn't exist. And so he found the next closest alternative and, you know, learned kind of how it worked and eventually created one to help physicians himself. Our second guest is Dr. Adam Bersard. Welcome, Adam. Thanks, Daniel. Really excited to be here. Yeah. So, Adam, I would love it if you could sh maybe start out by sharing how did you get to this intersection of talking about being a great dad while also being a great doctor? Yeah, so right after my youngest son, who's almost two and a half now, was born, I kind of was able to organize some of my time off, have a little bit of a paternity leave. So I'd like work a week, then take off a week, then work a week, then take off a week. During that time, where I really started kind of diving more into some personal development and self-development stuff. Mind you, this is also in the middle of early COVID. So... There, no one was coming visit the new baby. There wasn't a whole lot for us to do otherwise. So we were, you know, he was still, you know, at the point that he was sleeping all the time. My wife is breastfeeding. So there really wasn't a whole lot for me to do as on daily other than take care of an older child. So started diving in and reading, you know, different self-development books, got associated with some other physicians that were life coaches and most of them had trained with the life coach school. So kind of started looking into that, listening to a bunch of the podcasts about it. 
and ended up deciding to, well, I, I can either find a coach, hire one of these coaches, or I can just become a life coach. So I decided to just become a life coach. So that I figured kind of, you know, I would be able to use it some to help other people, but also just le- knowing those skills to that depth, like it would be helpful, you know, to me personally. During the course of it, the majority of the physician life coaches were all females. So myself and I think two or three other guys all happened to be in the same like cohort. So I was talking to one of those physicians and he kind of had a, a platform already. So he was planning to launch a coaching business. So I started doing some coaching for him. He would do, you know, majority of like the big group calls, but I would do some of the like one-on-one calls and he was, there was being marketed as a, you know, a male physician coaching because that wasn't part of the, there was no market for that or no other providers for that at that time. So starting, I guess, November of 2020 was doing all these calls with other, other physician dads. Have you kept kind of hearing the same thing over and over again? They, a lot of them were on the financial independence retire early, you know, like spectrum, I guess they wanted, that was their plan. They, a lot of them were taking jobs, the highest paying job they could in locations that they hated, that their spouses hated, you know, picking up all these extra shifts to maximize the amount they're going to, you know, make so that in five or 10 years, they would have this huge nest egg and be able to then retire or yeah. And, or eventually live where they want to live or actually see their families. And that just seems so counterintuitive to me. Like who knows what's going to happen in that five to 10 years. You're, you ignore your kids. You just buy their love with this extra money that you're earning or, you know, they never see you, you, your spouse never sees you. You're not prioritizing your relationship with your spouse. So when you all of a sudden fire, you don't know your kids, you don't know your spouse and you're, it's not going to be a pretty picture. So that's when I started kind of looking for a group that focused on dads, you know, professional or, you know, higher income driven dads. Said couldn't really find anything specific physicians, but ended up joining a entrepreneurial dads group called Front Row Dads, which has been awesome. Uh, And that's a mastermind group, right? seems like you made that observation that this whole work hard Pursuit of more money, aggressive pursuit of more money, but at the cost of less time was in conflict with being a, a great family slash, and most importantly, dad. Yeah. And a lot of the times, like, they're like, oh, I'm doing this for my family. I'm doing this for, yeah, you know, so that I can be a better dad or a better spouse. You know, I'll make more money. Even the ones that aren't, you know, weren't, you know part like looking to fire like they just wanted to make more money so that their kids could have things they didn't have or so they could go to private school or they could buy them a bmw when they turn 16 or you know whatever but like is that really what your child wants like you know in reality they want you to spend time with them you know not you know whether you know you're flying them to Europe for a week or like, you're just like hanging out with them on the, on a pier fishing. Like, I don't think it really is what your, you know, five-year-old is looking for, but <laughs> they want you to sit there and play box with them probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And same thing. Like, yeah. Like you, your spouse can buy all these pretty things, drive all this great car, you know, but if you're not going, you know, having date nights or you know, having time alone with them, like you're 
going to end up growing apart. It's going to then take half of all that retirement that you have built. Yeah. David, I'm curious to hear from the parenting expert is does, so as a parenting expert, we've talked about this a million times, so I know, I already know what your answer is going to be, but I'm curious, I think it's important to talk about it is does being an expert at something, a parenting expert for you translate automatically to being a great parent? No, actually, it's, it's almost the opposite. You know, it's, it's funny that you, just because you know all the right answers doesn't necessarily mean you do all the right things. I'm still human. I still have those tendencies to want to, you know, we want to fit in. We want to do, we have a lot a really selfish nature. I think that we're born with. And so, yeah, just trying to deny that a lot is what I think a, jo- a parent's job is that we're constantly learning to be selfless. Uh, and that is hard when we live in a society that tells us to be selfish. And so I think, yeah, I love what Adam's saying. I couldn't agree more with the things that he's talking about in that. But even when you know, even when you know what to do or what you should be doing, it's still, it's still a challenge. It's and, a good starting point. Yeah, it's a great, hey, awareness is key, right? That's, you got to start somewhere. So a part of like having something to aim at, having that goal is critical, but also that, that perfectionism is not a good, a good perspective either, because we are human, we're going to mess up, but we got to just keep firing at the same, at the goal that we're, we're trying to achieve. So, yeah, I like, there's a bunch of stuff in there that you said that I hopefully will circle back to some of that, but I wanted to talk about the end goal, maybe a little bit more expand on that. So like, let's just say we're all talking, I'd say it's like 10 or 20 years from now, or at whatever point our kids are like now adults and they're kind of like doing really well, you know, life's gone as we all hoped. I'm curious for you guys, like, what does that look like for you for that to play out? Like, you know, what's going on with your kids for them to be in that point of like, what you would consider like, man, we did it right. David, you want to take a shot first? Yeah, sure. So what it would look like for me, I think is to have really healthy kids physically, mentally, children that choose the right things in life, meaning the same sort of things that I choose in life, spirituality, uh, relationships. Uh, I think healthy careers are important, but more so purpose-driven and meaningful careers more than financial gain. But you certainly, I certainly want for them to be financially well, meaning that they resources-wise, they don't lack but that doesn't have to be in abundance to the point to where it's a gross amount. But I, yeah, I think just them being healthy and happy and knowing that and part of that is just knowing that mom and dad have always got their best interest in mind mm-hmm. that when those things come, when life struggles come, cause they do. And we all know that they've got, they know who they can rely on. So kind of simple. And maybe that's a little too fairy book, fairy tale kind of thing. But I think that's what I wish for them. You know, I could say tangible things, but really at the end of it, I just want them to be happy, healthy and doing something that they find meaning in. Yeah. I think, I think when I think of it as in my kid's situation, really all, if I was to boil it down, I want for them is to be loving people. Yeah. I think that's number one is like resemble love, loving people. And the rest kind of flows from that. And because we don't know how our kids are going to turn out and all that, but it's a fun thought process. Adam, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on it. You know, I mean, I hope that they're resilient and, you know, self-aware, self-reliant, like productive members to society. Yeah. And kind of like they've said, like whatever they choose, however they choose to lead their life. But I hope they're, you know, having their kids and not saying, oh, I hope I never do X, Y, Z that dad did to me. <laughs> That's a good one. So, you know, just hopefully, yeah, like, like, like y'all both said that, you know, they, they feel comfortable coming to, to my wife and I, that they know we have their back and that they can bring up any topic, you know, can ask us anything and, you know, hope that we're there for them, but not reliant on us. Right. Yeah. David and I have talked about the trust thing with your children and you brought up a good point about, I think them being comfortable bringing anything to you. And so that is, I think an aspiration most people have, but it's super easy to get in this 
I guess, going down the road of where you're kind of like critical of your children and they stop trusting you and then they eventually like break away from you. David, I'm curious if you could weigh in on that. Like, how do we really lean into that whole thing without like revolving around our children? Yeah, you know, and I really believe a lot of this starts really early with our children. Just as, as parents, young parents, and, and watching our children make mistakes, behavioral mishaps or, or behavior that you don't necessarily want in your house. My, I can give an example. My son is very handsy. He's a rough and tumble little guy. and He's always kind of been that way. My daughter was my firstborn, not so rough and tumble. <laughs> and so he caused a lot of strife and he would bring a lot of frustration and what he thought was just rough and tumble play, but it, it oftentimes would escalate into, into fights and crying. And so there was a frustration that existed in my home a lot of times around his behavior. And the more frustrated I was as a parent, the more he felt as if I was ganging up on him or my wife mm -hmm. and I would kind of gang up on him. And so I think so much of how we handle our children's behavior early on and I'm not uh, for spanking. And so I say that and a lot of people get frustrated with that and I totally understand that. But there is a lot about forgiveness and being able to speak to our children without having to partially punish them physically that I think will later translate into a much more loving and respectful relationship later in life. And so I do think there's a lot of parenting in the way that we handle our kids' missteps early in life that lead to a more likely behavior for them to come back and, mm -hmm. and build that relationship and say, hey, dad, I want to talk to you about something. And I think it's about your failures too as a parent. I, absolutely. Because I'm guilty of it like everybody. It's like you don't want to admit your failures and or you just kind of gloss over them, but like leaning into them and talking or being like, Hey, I screwed up with your kid. Mm -hmm. That's hard to do. Yeah. Right? That's so, so critical, right? I mean, just to be able to admit fault and apologize when we're wrong, we really are. You, parents are the most influential person in a child's life, hands down. And so when we model what we want to see from our children, they see and retain that way more than anything that we say to our children. Yeah. And so being able to model that, just like you're saying, just to say, Hey man, I messed up. I'm human. And my son has a hard time with messing up at times and he gets really hard on himself. I say, Hey, that's how we learn. Messing up is, a, it's just a human behavior and that's the way we learn. So let's be kind to each other when we mess up, you know, it's just, it's not intentional, but when we mess up, I tell him, I said, now making a mistake, the first thing is a mistake. The second time you make it, it's a choice. So let's choose wisely. You know? <laughs> yeah. Adam, I know, I think you mentioned this even, but I know from my experience, there's a lot of perfectionism in, real, I guess that's in our culture overall, but it seems like, especially with physicians, there's just kind of a big lean towards perfectionist tendencies. And I think that's, seems like it's yeah. in direct conflict with what we're talking about. No, absolutely. And like just reading, I think part of one of those books I was reading around the time when my son was born was Mindset 2.0 and like just the fixed mindset versus growth mindset and learning from failures and stuff like that. Because, you know, a lot of times in medicine, like if you failed at something, like you're either getting sued or there's going to be a bad outcome or, and especially in anesthesia, like yeah. you, you know, can't, it, you have to be precise, you know, right? Life and death. Like you can't. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that is a big issue with like changing that, that idea about like admitting you're wrong. And I completely agree with y'all. Like, you know, people seeing you apologize to your two-year-old for they, you know, screaming at them or whatever, like can be a big shock to some people, but absolutely like have to do that. But yeah, I mean, it's really hard. Both for like when you do something, when you lose your temper with your child or when they lose their temper or whatever, like beating yourself up, I think is what I've experienced a lot on some of these coaching calls that, you know, the physician gets mad at themselves because they screamed at their kid and, you know, they shouldn't have blah, blah, like 
And then it just goes round and round of I'm a horrible parent. Or they beat themselves up because their child had a tantrum in the grocery store or whatever, that they're a bad parent and they shouldn't have, like, they're supposed to be this perfect little angel child or whatever, which is also, like, crazy. Like, they're two, they're four, they're whatever. Like, it's gonna, like, you're not gonna, like, that's gonna be the abnormality if the child is just a perfect angel all the time. So I think giving yourself that grace, you know, having that self-awareness to, you know, realize when you've messed up and, you know, tell the child, like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have lost my temper. Like, and, you know, when it, that's one thing when, you know, a two-year-old, a four-year-old or whatever is, can't control their emotions, but then you get mad at them. You're not controlling your emotions, but you're expecting this two-year-old to control their emotions and you're 40, like, like you're yelling at them because they're having a tantrum, but you're having a tantrum basically too. And that's something that is, you know, really hit home to me. Yeah. I think it's hard sometimes to realize that. Take a step back. And you have awareness. You always realize it, you know, five minutes later. Right. But you have more awareness than way more awareness, I would say, than, you know, the average physician and person in general. And, has digging into some, I mean, you've read books about mindset. I think that kind of thing can help. Has that been helpful? Have there been other things that have been really helpful to help gain that awareness and mindset? I mean, having conversations like this with other dads, because you don't talk about these things. Yeah. Like you go watch that, you go to the football game or you go to the, you know, dad's night or whatever. And you talk about work, you talk about the, you know, the football game, you talk about, the kids, but you're not actually talking about the kids. You're not talking about like, oh, Johnny, you know, is having problems with this or like, that's what I have found really helpful with, you know, joining other dad's groups or like being able to have these conversations and coaching, personally having coaching, like having these conversations. I was talking about stuff with our older son and with my coach and he brought up Brene Brown and the work. And I'm like, I mean, I've read that, like, I know about it. Like, and I was like, just because you said that now is it makes it a lot more real. And I need to really, you know, go back and practice it. And that's the thing. Like, I think I personally have a problem with this. I read all these books and listen to all these books and podcasts and whatever. So I have all that information. But knowledge without implementation is kind of useless. Like, look at the parenting like, expert. He just, yeah. he spoke. <laughs> so uh, be more intentional about actually like doing the things. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It's easy to say and know what to do, but taking action is challenging. And Daniel, I think it's because we rarely get it right the first few times we do it. You know, I mean, take a trash can that's in your kitchen right now and move it to the other side of the room and tell me how many times in that week you throw trash in the corner that the the trash can used to be. And that just shows you that we're creatures of habit and we do things oftentimes without a lot of thought. It's not because we don't know where the trash can is. It's just because we're in the habit of tossing it in the other spot. And so if we can learn to just be kind about that. And like Adam said, I think so much of that is the kindness comes from bouncing it off other people and listening. And one of the things I work really hard to do, even under the guise of an expert and not do my finger quotes, because that's the worst thing people could call me, (laughs) but uh, it is to just be honest about all of my shortcomings. And when I've messed up, I try to share those. I try to lead with those a lot of times because it's so important. Like Adam said, that to hear another dad say, man, I really lost my temper this week. Or, you know, I really found myself yelling at my kids to stop yelling. Like, <laughs> yep, been there. I know all about that. And it's like Adam was saying, and just like, we, you know, we lose our temper, but we're asking our kids to keep theirs while we're not doing it ourselves. And so having somebody else, and luckily I have men in my life who I get to share those things with and do so regularly. And that like, I, I can't, I can't agree anymore with Adam about how helpful that process is in learning new things and applying new things. Yeah. Adam, did you have to, I think leaning, go ahead. Sorry. Leaning in with like curiosity, like, like is a big thing too. Like 
clearly like my boys are four and two. So like, they're still on that toddler stage. Like, but one of them like is having a meltdown. It's probably because they're hungry or tired and 90% tired like because they don't like naps anymore. So like, just like realizing that before you like lose your temperature tip tipper, like, Oh, like it's 5 PM and he's been playing and doing else like, and hasn't had a nap today. Like what, you know, that's probably why he's flipping out right now or he's hungry or whatever. And just try to take a step back before you react. Yeah. And have an open mind and not assume kind of like we do, we should do with all things. Yeah. For me, this is kind of one I have learned is I would not consider myself a big drinker, but occasionally I'll have alcohol at night and have reduced that consistently in my lifetime, partially because I realize even if I just have like one or two drinks, it ruins my parenting. I'm just, I lose, I can't. I go off the rails and I don't have near as much of this top of mind awareness of things to kind of think on my toes. It's not like I'm, you know, out of control. It's just like that. You got to be quick on your toes. I think with a lot of this parenting stuff and when you're tired and, you know, combine that with other things and then you get a temper tantrum, it's like you end up in a temper tantrum yourself. You're like, this is no good. Yeah, I think, I think like, go ahead, Adam. Go ahead, David. I think even with like caffeine and stuff, like I like can feel it, like I lose my temperature more or temper more often, like, you know, if I've had too much caffeine in a day or, you know, it, you definitely, you have to take care of yourself, whether that is, you know, what you're eating, drinking, doing like meditation and stuff. Like I can definitely tell the difference the days I don't do like miracle morning or meditate or whatever, like. I definitely have a shorter fuse and, you know, you hear about all these people talking about like you know, doing gratitude journaling or meditating or doing all these like soft, however you want to, you know, put it, but there's a reason people have been doing these things for thousands of years and, you know, may not be like, oh, like tomorrow I'm going to be this like Zen master, but like just tiny things and if you really take a step back and look at it like and you know oh i meditated today and i didn't yell at my kids or i didn't have any coffee today or i didn't have a beer today and like today went well like and just kind of being mindful of those kind of things i think is a big thing too yeah i love what you're saying adam i couldn't agree more you're right i remember feeling as a military guy and you know, this whole gratitude journal, I'm like, man, this is soft, right? <laughs> like this, there's no way to getting up every day and saying thank you for three things in my life makes a difference. But I'm here to state that it has changed my life in a big way. Uh, so I appreciate that you would even bring that up. I think we do discredit some of those things, mindfulness activities, meditation, yoga. But I also think there is a key variable in understanding where a child is developmentally. And as dads, I think we don't do that as well as moms do. And I think part of that is socializing and how we've been socialized and whether we choose to be around younger kids when we're younger. That I know when I was a dad, I didn't really understand developmentally where my child was. And I saw an example that I oftentimes share. And I was at my, I took my son to his five-year pediatrician. It was just, I'm just going to do a five-year checkup. We're sitting in the waiting room and we're working one of those wooden puzzles and there's another child in the room and they're sitting on the floor and they're playing with blocks. And that child's about three years old, maybe, maybe two and a half. Parents sitting behind them on the phone, not engaged. And the parent or the child says, or the parent decides they want to engage and says, will you hand me a yellow block? And the child reaches down and grabs a red block and hands it up. And the parent says, no, I said a yellow block. And the child reaches down, grabs another block. It's a blue block. And hands a block up and the child and the parent gets upset and says, no, I said, it's a yellow block. It's on your right. And the child, right. There's something wrong with the picture. And I ask people what's wrong with the picture. And they're like, well, a two-year-old or a three-year-old doesn't know their colors and they don't know their rights from their lefts. The reality was, is the parent was expecting that child to, to be at a different developmental stage than where the parent was, than where the child could be. And that breakdown in communication 
happened not because the child wasn't trying to be obedient because oftentimes the parent will res- will will look at that and say the this child's not doing what I'm asking them to do and therefore I'm feeling frustrated and so the breakdown oftentimes comes where a child is supposed to be and what they're able to do and so many parents and that's not just males I don't want to just cast that broadly across our audience but a lot of parents don't know exactly where a child is developmentally and that can have a lot of barrier in whether or not that child is being communicated with appropriately and those expectations are right so it leads can lead to a lot of that frustration that we're talking about as well i was i saw a, a study on some research recently i think it was from pew on time spent dads time spent with their children and it was super interesting and they've done they've been doing this research for a really long time and I think like back in the 50s, it was like, you know, here's how much time the dads were spending with the children. It was very low in their children. And then fast forward to today, and it's like dads are spending a lot more time with their kids today. But what was interesting about it is that dads today also feel like they're not spending enough time, or that is more amplified now than it used to be. So in other words, dads are spending more time with their kids and feeling like it's not enough today, which I think is a super interesting combination of variables. But I think, first of all, that tells me it's not all about time. And we've been kind of talking about that, like intentionality and being like healthy in your overall lifestyle and those sorts of things. But I'm curious of your all's thoughts on that. I think, it, I mean, it's definitely, I think a lack of engagement, like kind of in your story, David, like the parent is playing on their phone and then all of a sudden is like, oh, now child, I want to like engage with you. And probably it's playing on their phone a lot at home and is partly why they don't know that the child doesn't know their colors, you know, just got tapped to bring them to the doctors that day. And something that I've been doing with my older son is like, we do like quarterly, it's from the book family board meeting by Jim Shields. So quarterly we go on. You know, a father-son, quote-unquote, board meeting, and there's no cell phones. Like, you get to choose, like, what we do that day. We, like, you put it on the calendar. You know it's happening. And then you kind of have, like, a you we, like, go do an activity. We go have lunch and kind of debrief and stuff afterwards. And I mean, there's only so much debriefing that, you know, is happening with a three- and a four-year-old. But he's still, like, he knows when it's happening. So for two weeks, he talks about it. And then like the other day, he's like, you remember that restaurant we went to like on our dad day, can we go back to that restaurant and bring mom and brother? And like, but he talks about him all the time. And I spent a ton of time with him. Like I'm here like a lot. I pick him up from school all the time. Like we, we have time together, but something about those special times that, you know, it's just the two of us and it is planned ahead of time because like still like. You know, I'll pick, I pick them up from school a lot and it's just the two of us. We have conversations, but having that, you know, intentional time that's dedicated, no interruption. It's like, never have we like got in an argument during these days. Yeah. Like, because it's all about the two of us. You know, my phone is normally silenced or off and like, it's very intentional time. So, you know, whether that is you know, two or three hours after school one day or, you know, a weekend day, like a full day. I think that intentional time is much more effective than sitting on the couch watching Paw Patrol with them yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. It is quality over over quantity. Yeah, there we go. Quality over quantity for sure. Just how, what kind of time are we spending with our kids and are we engaged in that time? And like you said, Adam, I think it shouldn't be lost here is that the crux piece of that is, is that engagement and what you're, how you're spending that time is often determined by the child way more exciting, right? And he can get more excited about that. And it was another thing I keyed in is you said, we, these are days that just seem like we never, we don't argue at all in these days. Um, and I think that ha- that comes from the child's level of excitement that the child is really ramped up, you know, and they're being 
what do I want to say? They seem at that point, they're doing everything they can to do the right thing. They're excited about not misstepping. You know, they want to please you because they're feeling pleased. I find that too. When I spend time with my son, I could say this about my daughter, but she always seems to be polite to me. And I don't know what's even when I don't deserve it at times, but my son on the other hand, like he, when we're doing something that he wants to do, his polite, he's so much more polite to me and thank you, dad. You know, I'm really having fun and he's really stating these things unsolicited as a, just a reflection, I think of his heart in the time that we're getting to spend together. So yeah, I couldn't agree more with what you're saying. Quality is important. Yeah. I think that's the challenge. It's a, <clears throat> I mean, it's not easy to dedicate time, but it's necessary. But then on top of that, it's not easy to be intentional with the time that you dedicate. And then on top of that, it's not easy to be like a healthy influence while you're dedicating that time. So it's like a very, that's where it starts to get challenging. And especially if we're trying to seek perfection, I mean, that's when it's impossible, really. You know, you throw that into the mix, it's an impossible challenge. But I think there's one other component I always think about that we, I don't think we've hit on and on like this foundation of like being a great dad is your marriage and i think that's or even relationships in general like we've talked about it already but like your kids watch how you interact with other people and especially the most important people in your life and that's going to be huge a huge influence on them and i think that's where that cycle starts of you know you're teaching your children the behaviors they're going to eventually either they're going to be eventually like man <laughs> I wish my parents hadn't, or they're going to be like thankful, you know, for their parents instilling these habits, right? For sure. I think what I loved about what Adam was saying is that while it is difficult, if you plan that out, you put that on the calendar, it's the same thing. And hopefully my guess is if I asked Adam, I don't know him other than the first time we met today, but my guess is if I asked him if he's got date nights on his calendar, he would say, yes, he does. And I think. <laughs> What that is that, that his relationship with his children is being modeled after his relationship with his spouse and that there's so, and this is the thing that doesn't get talked about much. And this is not a throw at as single parenting. My heart is with single parents and for them, but there is so much security that comes from that healthy dyad, that parental connection in the home. There's so much of a child's security and confidence and self-esteem that is the foundation is laid for them through a healthy relationship, marital relationship at home. And you're right. They're always watching the way that dad talks to mom and mom talks to dad. And the way that played out is oftentimes in their relationships that they have as well. I couldn't agree with you more, Daniel. Adam, did he have a good self-assessment there did, or assessment of you? Yeah, it is something that I'm working really hard on. So actually my wife and I just, we actually just took our first trip without the kids over the past week. So it, it is something that we is definitely, you know, that we prioritize, but we do not have a set date night where it is something in the works though. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's putting it on the calendar and taking a little time to prepare for it. and. I have the same, yeah. it's interesting. We talked about this before, before we were recording, but Adam and I, well, Adam is the only person I've ever talked to that has that same habit. I have the, I do it a little differently. I do monthly dad days where it's the birthday day of their month. You know, if they're born on the seventh of the month, we do it every seventh besides their birthday. And ours is just like an hour, you know, hang out and do, you know, whatever fun stuff. But like, they all remember it. They all know when it's coming. They all talk about it. You know, it's, super impactful time together and I you know couldn't recommend it more so as we start to wrap up I wanted to circle back we've kind of already been talking I think a lot about this question I'm about to throw out but I think if you look I always like to you know bring up this quote like you I'm sure you guys have heard it like you look at your checkbook and your calendar and I'll tell you show me your checkbook and calendar I'll tell you what's most important <laughs> I think that's the quote and so I think money is, it can be like, you know, a problem. Like the pursuit of more money is it, you know, can turn you into a terrible parent, I think, and cause lots of problems. But on the other hand, money can also be like a fan, one of the best tools 
that we have to kind of move towards being a much better parent. We, I think we've already been talking about using money as a tool to be better parents. Like you're bringing up mastermind groups and working in jobs that, that, you know, not working tons of shifts and those sorts of things. But what are, I'd love to kind of talk about some ways that we can use money as a tool to kind of lean in to parenting. Adam, you want to start with, I know you shared a few ideas, but. Yeah, I mean, the, there's two big masterminds that I'm a part of, Go Budgets and Front Row Dads, and both have a a very strong, like, core values of, like, that you are a complete person, that, you know, it's not just financial, you know, you're working on your relationships, you're working on, you know, doing, you know, experiences over items, I guess, uh, you know, focusing on you know, emotional intelligence, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids. And when you're surrounding yourself, like the Jim Rohn quote, like you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, like when you're surrounding with people that are hardcore about their health, hardcore about their marriage, hardcore about their, you know, having these epic adventures, you know, exposing their kids to the different lifestyles different you know parts of the world you know you don't have to i I, if anything it may be detrimental going to some country and then staying in the the you know ritz or the four seasons as i just got back staying in the plaza in new york i understand (laughs) but um, you know when you're taking your kids to these things to like actually see the country like see how the people are living there. I really, I just finished a book a couple months back, Die With Zero, which was an excellent mind shift change. So the premise of it is that, you know, by the time most people pass away, their kids are in their fifties or sixties and don't really need the inheritance and to like really go down and like figure out the things you want to do in your life, whether bucket list or however you want to do it. But like, if one of the things you want to do is climb Kilimanjaro, like you're not going to do that when you retire at 60 or 65 or 70 or whatever, like you need to make the intention to do it and spend the money, you know, at 35 or 40, because it's going to be a lot more beneficial to you at that point in time to spend that money than to spend it when you're you know, 65 or 70 and have retired. That's a very big generalization of the book, but it was very interesting. But, you know, having taken an account of, you know, what is truly, you know, important in life and like what you think your ideal life will cost is often not nearly as high as you think it is. Like having a, a weekly date night doesn't have to mean going the, uh, you know, $200 dinners every time, like you can go have a day picnic with your wife or like in the park or like just drive around even like just mm-hmm. have a conversation, like, you know, be present with your kids. Like the last, our last board meeting, like we went to three different playgrounds. Like, it it costs nothing. Like, yeah. Like he's just like, let's go to this one. Let's go to that one. I was like. Okay, cool. And then we got ice. <laughs> but that's what he wanted it. Like you can definitely have experiences and like make these values with your kids and have this, you know, quality time with your kids without it costing a lot of money. But it definitely, I think money is a tool to buy time. And I think that's what something, that's one thing that is really lost on a lot of the fire movement yep, is that you're trading more and more time for the money so that you don't have to do it in X number of years. But like in the meantime, like you're not guaranteed tomorrow, Like you can, you know, die tomorrow trying to get to somewhere in 10 years and you missed out on all this time with your spouse, your family, your parents, like 
you know, you see repeatedly, you brought up like the time that is spent with, you know, dad spent with kids, but you also like, I mean, not, probably you, you hear different statistics, but 85 to 90% of the time you're going to spend with your children is going to occur before they turn 18. So like, yeah, it's great. Like in 15 years, I, you know, could retire, but my kid's 18, like they're in college, they're not here. Like, and I've missed all of that time along the way that you could be building that relationship so that when they're 25 or 30, they come with, come to you with a question or a problem or like, you know, dad, how do I do this? Or like dad, look, I'm in, I'm in trouble. Like I need help with this. Like you, you haven't created that baseline if you are working 80 hours a week. That's good. Well, it's great. That's great. Adam, I wrote down some stuff that you said. I just so appreciate no, I mean it. I really appreciate what, where your heart is on that. And I hope you share that with all the people you come in contact with, because I don't think you could be any more on top of what you're talking about. You know, my daughter turns 12 a week from today. And so we, my wife and I talk about it all the time. I'm like, we got six summers. We got six family vacations left. Like, how are we going to spend those six summers? Like, we need to be knowing where we're headed because I couldn't agree with you more. And it goes back to where I started with where this whole relationship's there. Like if we want our kids to come back to us, now's the time to be investing in that return rate, you know, like, and it is, and you were talking about, and I don't, I think you said experience. And I think of the three E's experiment or experience, exposure, and enrichment. And that's the way that I want to try and use money for my kids' sake. And so much of it is, me having to be selfless and say, okay, instead of getting what I want, I'm much more happy giving them what they want. And that's not a center. That's not a child centered parenting perspective. That's literally just a selfless piece of, okay, if I really want more than what my parents gave me, can I give my kids more? I think that's a good thing to want, but that probably means I won't get all the things that I've wanted in life either. So by removing myself and saying, Hey, I'm willing to take the hit so that I can use the money that I have instead of working more hours, just use the money that I have just for them and for the things that they want to do. And for this time that we're going to spend together, these experiences and exposure to where we want to end up in the end, which is that well-rounded human, right? That well-rounded somebody who's giving back to the community. So much of that is doing that together and forming those habits when they're kids and saying, Hey, for Thanksgiving, we're going to go down here to the Salvation Army and we're going to ring this bell outside of Walmart. And we do it every year. My kids love it. It's one of the most, hey, dad, we going to ring the bell again this year? Like, yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool for a 12-year-old to be like, dad, we going to ring the bell again this year? Like, yeah. You know, my night, my son's like, dad, let's ring the bell. And he'll recognize people. And so that's the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, I just, I really appreciate what you're sharing with people because I think you're right. I love that you said it's about time and buying time because that is what it's about. I know Daniel and I have had these conversations so many times and it's like, how much time can I buy? What's my time really worth? You know, there's a paycheck that comes every month and I can evaluate how much I'm hourly worth according to my employer, but how much is it worth? And is that better spent giving somebody else that opportunity to make some money, to do some of the things that I don't necessarily find enjoyment doing? and might be able to use that time then with my kids doing something with them and building that relationship. So really, I just kind of am riding the tails of what you had already said. Really agree with what Adam's talking about. Glad to hear that there was a mind shift in, in some of the reading and hopefully more dads will join that mind shift because I think it's a necessary one. I think it's, I think it's going to lead to a lot of a much better individual in the future. Like we're planting our mm -hmm right now and investing in our children. And that's, trust me, it's well worth our investment. <laughs> we need more of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm glad to well, see you. Like I, I have, Good. I have friends that are worth, you know, eight, nine figures that will take their kids to go mow their, mow their rental property or like empty the coins and, you know, the apartment complex just to show them like what the hard work is and like what they did to get there, you know, it may not be 
the best use of your time to go out, be out there ringing the bell. If you're, you know, it's probably better, it's pretty easier for you to write a check and just put it in there and someone else is ringing the bell. But, you know, taking that time to, to really submit those lessons in with the kids or, is priceless rather than, you know, you know, considering what your time's worth too. Great stuff, guys. This is, this has been fun. I feel like we could talk about this for hours. And I think then my number one takeaway is relationships too. I wasn't initially thinking about that, but I think one of the biggest things is just connecting with other dads to talk about important stuff. Some of the like bigger life questions and lean into that and talking through this stuff. I think that's super impactful. And I know Adam, you're leaning into it. David, we lean into it when we run every Wednesday and Friday and I would encourage everybody listening. That's, I think, a great starting point is just leaning into hanging out with some dads. You got to be intentional. I know us guys are not the best about connecting and talking about some of these things, but there's a lot at stake. Well, guys, thanks for joining me today. I've enjoyed the conversation. Please know that anything I've said today in this podcast should not be considered advice. It is completely for educational and entertainment purposes only. It would be best to view me as just another guy talking about money on the internet. For advice, please consult your advisors. If you don't happen to have a financial advisor already, I happen to know a firm that's absolutely fantastic. It's actually the firm I started and currently run now, Ren Financial Planning. And we would love to get to know you better and see if we might be able to help. Feel free to reach out anytime to schedule an introductory meeting. You can find more info about us at www.renfinancial.com.